think the first thing is always trust. I mean, because before you can start to move all of this forward, if you don't have the high degree of trust between people, none of this is really possible. Because when you start to meet someone, the questions that go in your head is one, do I trust you or not? And then how much do I trust you? Because that is how much you'll share, open up, work with someone. There's a lot of things because we all have fears and all of those fears control us. And so everything else stems out from that, right? That's sort of ground zero or the core. And so you have to build a high degree of trust. And what I found the secret to doing that is, is vulnerably sharing with other people our experiences in groups. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with the best-selling author of Social Wealth, TEDx Williamton speaker and executive coach who has worked with transformational leaders such as Steve Jobs, Mark Cubain and Reed Hastings. He has a BA history from the Indiana University in Bloomington, a law degree and a master's in communication from Syracuse University and has completed a leadership program at the Harvard Business School. Our guest has had roles in communications and investor relations at Right Now. Hewlett-Packard, American Heart Foundation, Blockbuster, and Reach Legal. As an entrepreneur, he co-founded Visual Arts Reimagined and company culture expert at Unstoppable Workplaces. I'm honored and privileged to introduce to you the host of the Executive Breakthroughs podcast, keynote speaker on Unstoppable Workplaces, Dallas Cowboys and Mavericks fan, and a supporter of charities such as the American Cancer Society, Jason True. Jason, welcome to the show. Okay, thanks for having me on your show and speaking to your fantastic tribe. Yeah, excellent. You spend a lot of time focusing on other people, but before we dive into a world of developing high-performing leaders and teams, let's take a look at the Jason True in the mirror. What kept you occupied as a child and what was your big dream? You know, I'm always, I've always been curious and curious about learning and meeting people and that had just been something that I'd always been fascinated with. So, you know, I focused a lot of time on reading, talking to people, just getting out and about in learning more about the world around me. So I guess I was precocious, curious and I didn't get in that much trouble, so I think my parents were pretty happy about that. <laughs> what was the biggest conflict dilemma you faced as a teenager? Well, when my parents got divorced, my mother worked in a hospital as a nursing anesthesiologist, so she was working probably three to four days a week overnight. So, you know, I had to essentially fend for myself because she wasn't around. So that really 
was challenging at times growing up because I had to make a lot of decisions for myself. I had to do a lot of things. You know, I had to spend quite a bit of time by myself. So I think all of that really was challenging for any child. And obviously, you don't have the experience to figure or understand any of that stuff necessarily out yourself. Mm. You live in Dallas, Texas, and, and have a great passion for the Dallas Cowboys and Mavericks. Are both teams the heart and the soul of the city? You know, they are. I mean, I think that we have other sports teams here. I mean, it's just, it's a very, it's, it's a city that's passionate about their sports and about their teams and about their people. And I think that's just, you know, Texas in general from the history it's had since, you know, the 1800s from, from until now. So, I mean, I moved all around in the U.S. and worked internationally. So, you know, Dallas itself is, I mean, I've been here a while now, but it, it's it's still something that amazes me. I think the feeling people have about the state and the pride that they have around it. For someone who works in high performance, you know, with, with leaders and, and corporations, what are the greatest lessons you have learned from observing both the Dallas Cowboys and Mavericks and other sports teams in your area over a long period of time? Well, I think it, it all starts with you. So your self-awareness is you know, paramount for you to understand your patterns, you know, historical things that end up sabotaging your success. And so I think unless you do a significant amount of inward working, you aren't going to be successful because those are the things that hurt people the most and not understanding where those patterns stem from, which often can be things like growing up in a household with, with if you had a lot of kids, like I've had some clients grow up in a household with several siblings. Well, it's hard getting their parents' attention. So they learned early on that talking over people and listening didn't get them what they wanted. But now in the workplace, not listening and asking more questions obviously sabotages their success as you go upwards in your leadership career. But it's very difficult for you to make those links. And when you can't, it will continually hold you back because you'll continue to fight against the current and you won't really understand why you aren't a good listener. Really good insight there. So you've spent many years working in that company culture and leadership growth space. What was the catalyst that led you to spending time focused in this area? Well, end of the day, we all have teams we have to work with, you know, either internally, externally, different groups, right? And those teams externally can be clients, prospects, partners, whatever they are. And we can only be as successful as the people around us. And so we have to focus on getting ourselves to perform at the highest level, but we also have to get everyone else around us to do the same thing. And obviously I have clients who all have teams in some aspects, so getting the most out of the people around them is absolutely critical. And obviously you need to be able to find ways that you can do this universally no matter where you're at. And so trying to figure out that formula of putting it all together is obviously critical. That's why you're seeing, you know, companies across the world, you know, talk about culture and figure it out. I mean, at Davos, right, this past year, the number one topic is trust. 
And if you look at all the people that are running, you know, human resources executives and, and CEOs, I mean, they're talking about how company culture matters, employee engagement, right, teamwork, all of those things are coming paramount. In fact, you know, the data now shows that pe- that organizations view soft skills as more important than hard skills, especially critical for success in, the, in an organization. So, you know, having to figure this all out and create some processes that people can use that are not superly overly complex, right, and really, really hard is something that I've been tackling so I can help my clients and their managers implement this no matter where they're at. So if you walked into an organization that you would deem as a real high-performing culture, how would you describe it? Well, I would say that the bottom line, they formed a significant amount of trust around their relationships with each other. And you will see a high level of caring. You will see them engaged, asking more questions. You will see them be less critical of each other, but they will argue, right? And they'll argue more in terms of a family because diversity of opinion and thought is what creates great outcomes. You'll also see them be very curious about learning and bring it back to the group. You will see them problem solve not only within the group but across an organization and problem solve without being prompted by a leader. And I think that, again, like I said before, I think the caring part of it is pretty significant because when we people who care about us at, at a high level, it brings out the best in of us because the people we're closest to care the most about us. So when you do a lot of the characteristics and things that the people that love you the most do at work, that's where the transformation really happens and starts. So before a company can transform and develop a high-performing culture, what type of actions do they need to first take? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is always trust. I mean, because before you can start to move all of this forward, if you don't have the high degree of trust between people, none of this is really possible. Because when you start to meet someone, the questions that go in your head is, one, do I trust you or not? And then how much do I trust you? Because that is how much you'll share, open up, work with someone. There's a lot of things because we all have fears and all of those fears control us. And so everything else stems out from that, right? That's sort of ground zero or the core. And so you have to build a high degree of trust. And what I found the secret to doing that is is vulnerably sharing with other people our experiences in groups and not necessarily one-on-one that is definitely helpful and you will have to do that but your results can vary depending on how you connect with someone and the willingness of someone to open up and share then in a group it is truly transformative and you have to start to be very vulnerable because usually what happens is people inch into trust over a long period of time and what that happens is, is that you'll see certain people on a team that will connect with each other because they just feel like they're kindred spirits. They've had some similar experiences, but they won't do that with the entire team. 
And the bar is everyone has to have a high level of trust in a group for it to actually be high performing. And if you only have like four out of five people, you won't perform near as well. So the bar is definitely significantly higher, and that's what you'll see in the top 1% of teams. That's why they do things significantly different. So we talked a lot there around psychological safety and trust. How do you, how do we build social cohesion with such a diverse group of people who are at the same time trying to, trying to build that psychological safety and trust with each other? Well, I mean, obviously the leader has a significant role to play in there, but the data shows for people who think like, you know, what's psychological safety? And that's your ability to take risks with inside the group. And it's the relationship between risk and failure. And the challenge is Google did some research in Project Aristotle, if you literally want to Google it, to look at all of their high performing teams to try to figure out the ingredients that made up these teams so they could essentially do it globally. And what they found is the number one trait for high performance is psychological safety, no matter where the team is located globally, right? So it didn't matter if they were in Australia, New Zealand, China, wherever it was. And the thing about psychological safety that's absolutely critical is if you can't open up and share and say what's on your mind and also listen to someone else be able to have controversial arguments with someone else but not get personal right and to be able to understand that as a group you have to fail to succeed they're opposite sides of the coin and you can't have a bar that says we have to be perfect in the things that we do as a group and so part of the things that you do to build psychological safety is one is to you know, admit your own failings and vulnerabilities and things you're not good at. It's to share your personal feelings and experiences with other people in the group. It's to thank people. It's to stay open to trying to do other things. It's taking risks and doing things that are differently, right? It's sitting down and having hard conversations and disagreements with people when you're having problems with them instead of avoiding it or really not getting to the core of the issue, right? And those are only some things. And you can look, Amy Edmondson has got a great book. Um, I think it's called Fierce Organizations. And she's a Harvard researcher who's been doing this for 30-some years. Yeah, because so we quite often see a lot of teams where they try and keep each other happy rather than actually voicing their opinion and their thoughts. And that you know, leads to over a period of time, failure within their organization. In conflict, right? Because the problem is in most teams is, because I do conflict resolution work, is it's easy to highlight a team that's in crisis, right? So on a one to five scale, one being they're great, right? And five meaning they're in crisis. That's easy when it's a five. The problem is most teams are like at a three. So they're not really getting along, but it's not at a crisis level situation where they're arguing and yelling at each other or doing something that is really disruptive. The problem with that is, is that they're way underperforming what they could be, but no one really sees it because they're not vocalizing and they're not really looking at it and they're not working on it with them. 
and very few managers know how to do this. In fact, I haven't really run across any. Right? I'll I'll hear people talk about trust all the time, and I always get down and saying, "Let's well, great. How do you do it?" And the problem when you ask a person, "How do you tactically and strategically do it?" and "How do you build it really quickly?" is where they don't have the answers. And if you can't do it consistently in Australia, like, you know, over in Europe, in the US, wherever, then it's not real because you have to be able to operationalize it. And people are people and they all have core needs and you can figure those out. Sure, the cultures are different and you're gonna have to modify things, right? But at the core, people want to trust people, but you have to do certain activities to do that. And you have to have a process that cultivates that and to take the time rather than just saying to people, well, you you know, I think trust is really important and we have to build a high level of trust with people. Well, if it were so easy, why are they talking about it at Davos? Why is it on the minds of every CEO to build trust with other people? I mean, it's a huge topic and it's extremely difficult to do. In fact, I would argue it's probably the holy grail because the rest of it really doesn't matter end of the day because if you don't establish a baseline of that, no one's going to build a great relationship with you if they don't trust you because what are they going to share with you things? They're not going to open up. They're not going to be willing to take a massive leap of faith with you. So just elaborating a little bit on that trust aspect and building it, what, would, what could be a first step for a CEO to start to develop ways to build trust You know, rather than take them out on a high ropes course or something like that. Right, because the problem with that is, is when you do an activity with someone else, it doesn't really open you up, right? It creates a euphoria, but it doesn't actually move your relationship farther. What does is talking about it and sharing things about that situation. So the point of it is, is that if you're someone who is a leader, right? The things that you need to start doing is asking a lot more questions, getting to know people and how they tick, how they like to communicate, how they like to collaborate, right? What their pet peeves are, what brings out the best in them, right? All of these questions and you'll see people come up with these and a lot of really good leaders, exceptional leaders, are doing versions of this, which I call a how to work with me manual, right? And that's a, that's a step. The other part of it is a game I created, Cards Against Mundanity. And I created this out of looking at research by Professor Arthur Aaron did back in 1997 to build interpersonal closeness. And what he did was he paired up grad students that had them ask really vulnerable questions. And what astounded me about the research was after 45 minutes, 30% of the people said they created the closest relationship in their lives. Wow. And they replicated their research like in every possible geography, you know, demography, like everyone, like old, young, doesn't really matter. Sexes doesn't really have any difference on the data, right? And it is because these are very vulnerable things. And so when I started to look at that, I looked at how would it be in a group situation? And what ends up happening is when you start asking questions in a group such as, tell me about the most important lesson you've learned in the last year, right? Who's the one person that you'd thank for helping you become the person that you are? When you share those in a group and you go around and everyone starts sharing that, you start realizing that you're very similar in a lot of aspects, 
people are not that different, right? They all have emotions, they all hurt, they all have pain, they've all had highs and lows, right? And you find a lot of things that you're like, wow, that's just like me. And it brings you exceptionally closer because that's exactly the same thing you do to the people that you love and care about, right? And when you think about the teams, either in school or in sports or in anything, that you've had, that you think of as the best possible teams that you've been on, no matter what the size, that feeling and that knowledge that you have is the same thing you have to create in every single team that you're on, or you can't do your greatest work and neither can the people around you. And I think that's like looking at society now, where a lot of people have gone to communication through digital devices is they tend to lose that <clears throat> that humility aspect and that vulnerability aspect that is so important for trust. So are we seeing in society less trust with each other just because we're not having that those human conversations? Well, definitely, right? And, and the thing about social media and online conversations and connections is the point of that is is to get people offline and connect with them. And it's also supposed to expedite some things, but if you're on Slack with someone in a company communicating and you don't have a great relationship and trust with them, well then that form of communication is actually gonna cause you a lot more problems because people won't know how to take you and they won't get on the phone and saying, you know, that came off like you were really mad at me. Well, they won't do that. They'll just sit there and think it and never communicate with it. It's the same thing when you have virtual remote teams. That creates another level of communication that you have to get to know people because the, un, the conversations that we don't have with other people, the unsaid things are what creates a divide between us all and that creates distrust and that is what kills performance. So you have to be able to do that. The challenge is today, right, all the data shows that social communication and emotional skill sets are an all-time low and a lot of that's because you aren't forced to go offline to meet people a lot of people believe that they can just go online and have these conversations and it's not true right i mean unless the only thing you're doing is selling a product or service where you don't have to talk or interact with anyone perhaps that is the only way that this could be beneficial but at the end of the day that will also hurt you because you won't be able to get feedback from people so it's going to cause challenges no matter where or what you're doing because we need other people. We're living in a very challenging world. So let's focus a little bit on our leaders. People are held back by limiting beliefs and behaviors. So how can people identify their blind spots and how can they use them to their advantage? Well, I think that you know when it comes to blind spots, one of the things that we all have to do is really take a look and seeing what are the things that we're doing well and what are the things we're really challenged at. And a lot of that is just getting feedback from people um, you know, that are closest to us, right? If, whether it's internal in a company, whether it's a client, whether it's other people and getting them to be brutally honest. And then you need to get help to start to understand what are the triggers of those things that bring them out in you? And what is the historical patterns and anchors that have solidified those beliefs in your head? Because otherwise you just can't get rid of them. 
And the reality is, is that you have to have some sort of coach or some sort of external help because our brain is wired for survival, right? It's wired to keep us safe. So there is a level of work that you can do here by yourself, but there's a lot that you can't do and that you need other people to help you in the process. And you need someone who understands how to go through this. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of challenges and and you're going to wonder why you're not more successful. You've worked with a lot of high level leaders. In your mind, what do you think are the three most important sort of leadership skills that set the world's most influential leaders apart from just the good leaders? You know, I know this is going to seem like a trait, number one, that they're extremely hardworking and determined. And I think that they're unflappable in the fact that they can move through pain, discomfort, their comfort zone, failure, and move on. I would say they've been able to build incredible teams around them that are exceptionally high performing. And I, you know, I'm trying to think of the third one that I would put on there is I always go through courageous vulnerability. I mean, I just think that there's no way to live in this world around us unless you really are. I mean, it's really hard to make you can be successful and be a jerk, right? But eventually it will come back to you at some point. And the problem is a lot of times when people might listen to this saying, well, I know people that have been successful for a long time. And I'm like, if you just keep going, they'll self-destruct. The problem is, is that we often don't watch it close enough and don't have enough data on what's really going on. Mm, good insight. I mean, look at Steve Jobs, right? I mean, all his health issues and everything else. I mean, the man was obviously brilliant, but there's a lot of shortcomings in the like and how he was dealing in the world around him. So that becomes a huge problem, right? I mean, for any leader or anyone else. So I think in today's world now, you know, you mentioned humility before. I think you have to be humble because you can't be right all the time. And if you're moving super fast, right, which is required today, and you're trying to scale, you need to be able to embrace the fact that you won't be right all the time. And in fact, you can't if you have to go really fast. So you have to be open that other people have the answers and you don't have them all. So with, you know, with just expanding on that a little bit further, obviously the most successful people in businesses have made their fair share of mistakes and there are plenty of successes along the way. What allows the really successful people to thrive after adversity, whereas many people struggle or just give up? I think there is a curiosity inside of them and there is a deep level of passion to doing great work and serving other people. And I think it's also the love of being around the people and building these teams and being a part of all of that. That is something that they are just extremely passionate about doing. Because I think you have to have these things. I think you have to be curious think you have to do that. And I think that when we talk about the vulnerability thing, what Brene Brown talks about, 
it's so critical because the success and failure either side of the coin. And if you're not vulnerable, you don't realize that you just, you're getting a perfectionist mindset where everyone around you has to be perfect and you'll scare away great people. And so while, you know, the question I, I, one time I was at a conference and event and I was standing in line, I'm not going to mention was, the CEO had built a, you know, 10 plus billion dollar company. And I was going to ask a question, so why didn't the company become a hundred billion dollar company? All right, no one asked those questions. They just assume because someone built a $10 billion company that are super successful and yeah, they are, but that doesn't mean they reached their potential. Mm-hmm. That just means that they reached a number which you thought was super successful, but a, but a person who made $20 billion wouldn't look at a $10 billion company and say that's super successful. So it's a matter of perspective. So talking there about scaling quickly and be able to move fast and we know that networking and collaboration is so crucial to growth in and success in businesses and teams so what are the kind of three key secrets to speeding up that relationship building process i think with people the key thing is you have to build trust right and we talked about that i think the other thing is you have to know how to work with them I think you have to start asking people, how do you best like to communicate, right? What's your pet peeves in working with someone else, right? And and there's a whole host of questions to ask around that. But the problem is we do a lot of guessing, analyzing, and predicting. And the problem with that is, is then we're wrong most of the time and those create the divides with other people. And I think the other thing is just listening and asking more questions, right? And I think the fourth thing I'd add is just being grateful and thanking people and trying to find ways to show that you care about them. And that doesn't mean spending money. That means vocalizing it because that's what we all want is the connection and belonging. And when you can do that with people, you go a long ways. Thinking about, you know, sort of those people and those leaders as well, what, what is the difference between people thinking they are self-aware and those that actually are? Because the statistics don't stack up too well for actually how many people are really self-aware. Yeah, because the data shows that 95% of people think that they're self-aware and only 10 to 15% are and the data is skewed slightly higher for women than men. I think the only way you know that is by doing the work. Because it's easy to think that you are, right? And a lot of times, the higher up you are, who's going to give you that real evidence? I mean, who's going to pull you aside? Unless you've created relationships where people really are giving honest feedback, and they have to be giving honest feedback from multiple positions, right? So I'll see some executives that have a relationship with one executive that will give them feedback, but you have to have multiple people because that one person may be missing things, and you never know when they stop giving you that feedback. So you need to surround yourself with people that are doing it and you need coaching and you need help because every time you get to the next level, you're going to have problems, right? Because they'll see people scaling businesses from, you know, 45 people to 90 to a couple hundred and they always have a challenge because they have to start letting go of the business and trusting other people and grooming them and teaching them how to be leaders and to do the work and they get farther away from going what's going on and they become psychologists, sociologists, mentors, right? Other things 
rather than those people doing the work. And if you aren't self-aware with that, all you're going to do is flounder because you're going to try to do too much and stay too close to the work. And that's going to hold back everyone in the organization because they can't grow, then you can't grow. So it'd be great if we could live in kind of a peak performance state all the time. What habits have you found that help people improve the time they spend in a peak performance state? Well, I think it's getting a lot of feedback from other people. Um, I think it's being a part of organizations where you spend time at conferences, listening to people, listening to podcasts like this, reading, right? getting cutting edge information on a whole host of things that you need to do. I think it's also checking in with leaders across your organization in different business functions to understand what's on their mind. What are their challenges? What's going on with them? And I think because that's we can think more across enterprise, across organization, right? Or even outside your own organization, right? If you're someone who's working in a smaller company, right? Is really to grow and to get information because that will help you challenge your assumptions and beliefs and to learn new things and to stay on the cutting edge because it's almost impossible for us to do that in an organization because at some point you're executing. And when you're executing, a lot of times you don't have a lot of time to gather new data, right? And to learn things because you just have to do what you have to do. Well, you essentially are always falling behind, right? I mean, that's why you can't, like you just say, you can't stay in peak performance all the time. It's not possible because things are ever changing, but you have to keep going back and iterating these areas and have the curiosity and passion to do them and to continue to learn and grow and ask questions, right? And even ask questions to the people that you manage, right? I, I ask the people that I manage to do a simple thing, you know, once a month or once a quarter is ask the people that they manage on a scale of one to 10, one being horrible and 10 being great, how would you rate our relationship? And in that relationship, like why do you give it the number that it is and how can I move it closer to a 10? Now that's a really tough question to ask, but if you build a great relationship with someone, that will really help you because then you'll be able to look at your own self-awareness and look at what you're doing compared to what they're saying. And what they're saying is their perception of it. And that's absolutely critical. And so unless we build those relationships with the people around us that we can actually have them, all we're doing right, is just living in a bubble and a false one at that. And eventually those bubbles are going to burst and we're going to have a precipitous fall. And so are all the people around us. Talking about vulnerability and if you're willing to share what has been the biggest challenge for you internally in being able to develop as a really successful executive coach? And how did you overcome it? You know, like everyone else, it's a lot of self-awareness, right? And I think it's constantly seeking out new information and getting a coach to look at my own self-awareness and really understand this whole process. And then you have to be your own guinea pig, right? You have to sort of eat your own dog food is a U.S. colloquialism, right? You have to do it along the way. And you have to constantly just learn and realize that there's only so much that you're going to be able to master and learn. 
and you are going to need to leverage other people, ask questions, and it's okay not to know things, and it's okay not to have the answers, but then you have to go out and seek those out and learn how to do things better to get proficient at us. Because I look at anything that I do in my current role as there's three levels of it. You're either an, you're a novice, you're a proficient, and you're a master. There's only some things in life you can master. It's just not possible to do more, no matter what anyone tells you. But you can get proficient at a lot of things. Now, the level of proficiency can change too, but if you start seeking that out, then you'll go a lot farther. And you're also going to realize as you're working with people that, hey, you're going to make mistakes along the way too. So I don't have a problem doing that. If something doesn't necessarily work out, I will just say to someone, hey, this isn't working the way that I thought it would be. Let's try this. And I think if you establish that relationship and trust with a person and then are willing to do whatever it takes to create success with them, you have a recipe that you can pretty much do anything. Over the last few years, we've seen a common thread coming through from a lot of people that they're focusing on the one percenters so they can be high performing and successful. But however, a lot of the time then they forget the 99% that is required first. What do you think are the most important ingredients in setting the foundation for being a high performing leader? Well, if you are already doing exceptionally well or really well, you have a lot of hard skills. And hard skills are easier to learn. Now, you have to figure out what those hard skills are in your profession and then continue to develop them. Because if you just rest on what you did before, but I think the key thing is the hardest thing for us to learn is soft skills. Because they're not something that you can learn on the computer and you can only learn them so much in a classroom. And they're very hard to move forward unless you practice them, get feedback on them, and are committed to them. But that's required because if you look at a list like LinkedIn or anyone puts a list of like what are the key factors for being a great leader and you go up and look at it, most of those are soft skills, right? Creative thinking is a soft skill, right? You have to develop the ability to do those things, right? To be resilient, it's a soft skill. Right? You gotta learn what that really means, right? So a lot of the things we're talking about today, those are all soft skills. Those are really hard things to learn. So your commitment level has to be really high to doing them. And you've gotta cultivate them on a continuous basis because there's only so much you can learn at one time, right? A lot of times I'll see people do you know, soft skill communication training or whatever it might be and they're sitting some in a classroom for three days. Well, there's only so much someone can soak in and learn. I mean, I don't care what you have. And the problem is you have to put it into practice. And so what do you prioritize in there? So you're only going to get so much. So you have to go back and do these things quite frequently. And I would say do them less in duration and focus on things that you need to get better at. And you're going to make massive progress in the things that you're doing because a lot of these things are interconnected. How do you ensure that you live an active and healthy lifestyle so that you can turn up in a positive energy and performance state every single day? I think everyone has to look inside of themselves and see what makes them tick, right? If you look 
you know, research that I've seen a long time ago, when you take a look at fairly technical people, um, you know, programmers, engineers, CTOs, other people, almost all of them are successful. And I've talked to hundreds of people and I asked them, have some sort of artistic passion, right? Meaning that they play music, they paint, they draw, perhaps they even snowboard or do something like that that allows them a level of creativity. And I think you have to find a hobby or something that you are passionate about, that you really enjoy doing, that allows you to disconnect and pushes you, right? I love running. I, mean, I love marathon running, and I started doing it, you know, less than two years ago, and it's, like, transformed my life in a lot of ways and in the way that I thought about things and the way I see the world and allows me to detach and funnel my competitive nature in a way that is the world itself against what I'm doing and also let me enjoy things and let go. Um, and so there's a lot of other things too along with that. And so I think that's really important. Obviously other things is you have to be tapped into your own wellness, right? And taking care of yourself and figuring out if you're having a challenge to start looking and getting help from people because obviously if you don't have your health and you don't have your wellness, I mean, you can't show up every day. What's next for Jason True? You know, a lot of it's really the same I've been doing and just building a next level. is just, I think, working together with teams and working together with leaders to really help bring up the best in them and the people around them and then continue to develop things around that and you know, continue to pro promote my team and culture building game cards against mundanity and probably do more speaking and work on the next book and then come up with the next thing, which I don't know what that is right now. Sounds like an exciting time. We all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Well, I just got married for the first time on four days or five days ago. So I guess that would be pretty significant. Yeah, congratulations. It's a, it's a, a monumental phase in your life. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey, especially getting married later in life. Um, you know, that's also has a whole host of challenges, not necessarily from the, my vantage point, but other people, right, viewing all those things. Um, but I'm glad that I waited to find the person that I had because that I, I didn't, I would have settled and not had the person who I really needed. And I think vice versa. What is the one question that you would love to solve? It's how do you bring people together and make them feel connected and belonging by snapping our finger? <laughs> At Active CEO, we're passionate about making a difference in people's lives. So we like to leave them with a call to action. What is one piece of advice that you have learned from someone along the way throughout your career that you'd love to share with our listeners? I would say that stop waiting around for people to be vulnerable with you. Lead with your own vulnerability and start sharing and opening up because that will allow them to feel safe and open up with you. And that's where 
the greatest things in life happen and that's when we do our greatest work as individuals and as teams. You've shared some incredible insights today. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Sure, you can go to my website and that's Jason, it's T-R-E-U.com, that's Jason, T-R-E-U.com. And then, you know, you can go to Amazon to get my book, Social Wealth, to build great relationships. And then Cards Against Mundanity to get the free team building game, culture building game, and there's a card game you can purchase along with it. So those are the ways. Excellent. Well, we get those in the show notes. Jason, thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I really enjoyed sort of listening and delving into your early career and what kind of made you tick and then into really understanding the work that you do in that high-performing culture space and just being really honest about that it's not that easy to develop things like trust and psychological safety and social cohesion, which are really, really core aspects to developing a high performance environment where teams and businesses really succeed. You've showed a lot through, say, your cards against mundanity and other aspects there around the importance of being vulnerable with your team members and being able to share and open up because that's when you really start to build trust. Um, also, the importance of debating and showing diverse points of view and making sure that people get an opportunity to discuss those and think about those and challenge each other because that's what really makes strong, important and successful teams. You talked about the ideas of being able to network and bring people together and ensuring that they start to understand what's important for each other and understand how each other ticks more effectively. You spoke a lot about the high-performing leadership skills and being able to really develop and focus time on those soft skills because they don't always come that naturally. They're things that take a long time to develop and we've got to put a lot of attention on that. So we thank you very much for your great insights, your honesty around the work that you do and what has allowed you to be successful with the teams, companies and leaders that you're working with. Thank you very much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. On this week's Active CEO Performance Tip, we're talking about leadership overwhelm. As a leader, have you ever felt completely overcome in mind or emotion where you feel a stress or combination of stresses are too big for you to manage? This is the feeling of overwhelm. Everyone experiences some level of overwhelm And the important thing to remember is that it's all manageable. Rather than fighting your feelings of overwhelm, you can accept that the anxiety is like riding a wave and it will get easier. Learn to turn overwhelming thoughts into helpful thoughts. Shift your thoughts from having to complete everything right now to focusing on one thing at a time. Identify what you need to be present with right now Take a deep breath to relax the body. And most importantly, engage in an action that you enjoy before rushing in to solve the trigger of overwhelm. Start taking control of your overwhelm today. Thank you for listening to an important conversation on vulnerability with Jason True on episode 90 
Building Trust for Transformation on the Active CEO Podcast. We are currently in a world where fear is dictating people's decision-making ability and emotional response to changes in our lives. As we experience a large-scale global epidemic such as coronavirus, for the first time in many generations, we see a society challenging their moral compass. Decisions are being made to protect the healthcare system from being overloaded and vulnerable people from being exposed. On the flip side of the coin, we are facing an expedited global recession that will have major implications on people's livelihoods. You know, what will a short and long-term impact be on businesses that are unable to operate? People's ability to put food on the table if they lose their job? Industries that are financially unstable? And managing the mental health and relationship effects of those who are being negatively impacted? There is no easy answer from a global society perspective. With adversity, there is always opportunity. What are the choices you can make to ensure that you mitigate the impact and potentially leverage the opportunity to change the way you do things in a positive way? Now, if you're finding it a challenge to find clarity, manage the overwhelm and determine an effective way forward through this global epidemic and pandemic, then please contact me for a complimentary 30-minute coaching session at craig at nrg, the number two, perform.com or click on the contact page of www.nrg, the number two, perform.com website to assist you in finding a positive way forward in the future. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.